This is CarCast, where Scott drives in his car and talks to himself. Yes, yeah, sir. Right. Well, you said, uh, first of all, I guess what's, I, I think anybody who's listening to this likely knows who you are, although I never really said who you were going to be. So, uh, I'm, I'm Scott. I'm driving home. I'm talking to Will, and if, uh, if, if Will, you want to introduce yourself at all, I'm not sure what you want to say, but uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, my name is Will, um, Scott's sis- only sister's fiance, um, and I'm driving home from work as well, and I've listened to Scott's first, what, four podcasts, I think it is? So, yeah, four five. I think this is six, actually. This is six? Oh, man, yeah. I guess I'm behind one. Did you do one this morning? I did, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll have to catch up. Um, so anybody who, who, who heard that one, I, I think I mentioned in there that I was going to be talking to you on my way home, so I wanted to get one out this morning so that uh, if anybody does listen to them regularly, they would yeah. know uh, to, to, to tune in, pay attention. Um, but yeah, so uh, you're the lucky guy who's going to have some awesome brother-in-laws soon. Uh, I agree. <laughs> Uh, how long is your drive home? Uh, it's usually like a half hour, but I've actually only like 20 minutes from the house. Okay. But, All right. Well, but maybe if I put the headphones on, I can do it if, uh, if need be. So. All right. So, we'll figure that out. Hey, now. Yeah, I can hear you. Perfect. Cool. Cool. I'm a little less distracted. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, so we talked a little bit uh, beforehand about an idea, something to talk about. I, I mentioned it in uh, episode five this morning. I, I talked about kind of what we were going to talk about, the fact that uh, we both are computer programmers, we have backgrounds in computer programming, development, software engineering, however you want to say it. Um, it's kind of an awkward thing because there's like a whole bunch of synonyms for kind of the job in the industry. So uh, I'm not sure what you called yourself or what you would say you did, but um, I've gone on business trips for work. Uh, I think our business trips have been for different reasons, doing different kinds of work out of town. But uh, that was kind of the general premise that we were going to talk about, you know, what it was like to be in the industry and do these kinds of trips and do this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from listening to, to uh, you know, what you've done, I think we definitely have uh, similar titles, but totally different, I guess, responsibilities when it came to work. I, I wouldn't consider myself a developer, for one, which is interesting, I think. Okay. And, and I'm a little ashamed of that so you, a little bit, you know, having a software engineer. So you never were a developer? Um, yeah, so I can explain it a little bit. Um, so we, where I worked uh, as a controls engineer, server-based controls, so C sharp and C and C plus plus. So okay. Um, so we already had a software platform, which we did have a development team that developed on it, not in our department. So we were more of a implementation of the software. So it's more configuring, and then if there were custom screens that a project required, we would, our team would do that piece. But so we had like a product code and then a project code. So we didn't touch the product 
we talked we touched the project code so if there was a product, okay a product screen that we wanted to enhance or add something to and not just have the default screen or default layout we would move that over to the project side and then i guess develop it from there but a lot of the stuff i did okay. was just a lot of a lot of configurations of the software that was already developed so that's okay so, so yeah, it's a good job, but not to, I guess, learn more about development and uh, get a lot of experience in development. So. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like, um, I don't know, anybody who writes code is a, is a coder. Would, would that be fair to say if you write any kind of code, you're a coder, but you might not, you don't see yourself as a developer because uh, you you weren't building out a, a product itself, you were just implementing the product. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's kind of how I look at it, and that's partially why I, I stopped doing it. Yeah, in that that part. So, I think if uh, I be a developer somewhere, I'd be starting you know entry level scratch. So, really, so even if you were developing a a C sharp or C plus plus program like uh I, you know there's not a whole lot of them out there probably anymore you're not going to see much of that on the way c sharp there's plenty of c sharp uh yeah. back ends from you know on a asp.net platform website but even in, in in that situation you'd you'd say you you'd be entry level having how much knowledge you have in c sharp uh maybe mid-level with the c sharp i guess yeah, but you, you, you to a lot of you know just I wasn't given deliverables within the software to to execute. We had a lot of cookie cutter projects. Um, okay, we we're just kind of cranking them out, just with the, huh. the volume of sales that were coming through. Okay, so I mean, so, it, yeah. making it repeatable made it you know from a pro, you know, more efficient. Um. So yeah. So. If, from my where I was where I've been pretty much my entire career was really application development, really building out the project, um, defining software, uh, talking to customers about what they need the software to do that it doesn't already do for them, and then finding out how to make the software do it. Um, so definitely a different type of coding, but um, you know definitely requires how to make code work and you know, writing code on a daily basis, right? Yeah. Yep. The most, I mean, I obviously had to be able to read the code, debug the code, and, and fix issues um, once I got on a job site. Um, some things we could emulate in-house, things like that, but really didn't know if everything was going to work until you got there and loaded the program onto the server and hooked it up to the, to the network that uh, um, all the hardware connected. So. Right. So that's, that's a that's a that's a good segue into uh, you know what it, what you did when you went on a business trip um, in in that capacity when you were a a um, what you call it uh, a what was the title something engineer control, control. controller engineer software control engineer right yep okay so when you went on a business trip as a software controls engineer you went. Where did you go? Who did you work with when you were there? And, and what was your ultimate goal? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so we went to various customer sites. Uh, I happen to be working in retail distribution centers, so a lot of conveyor systems and high-speed automation, high-speed conveyors, sorters. Okay. Um, so, uh, so you're talking about like, a, like an Amazon warehouse? Yeah, yeah. Toward the end of my controls years, uh, there was a lot of Amazon coming in, but uh, we had a lot of a lot of different logos. But that's one that everybody knows these days. So that's a good one to mention. Right. Uh, they're growing and growing. So I still I still work a lot with them. Yeah. Um, but as far as who I cool. work with on site, you know, we manufactured all the conveyor and 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 most of the conveyor, I guess. Um, so I come in near, um, you know, near the tail end of installation. So there'd be mechanical insta installation and electrical installation crews there. Um, and then we'd come in and start helping them do IO checkout, um, which is basically getting all the signals back to a control panel, which then are you know sent back to a server. You know. Hey. Yeah, I think I'm gonna try this. So I've done done this before in the past. Uh, I have an app that can just record um, phone calls. And then I'll just upload it into um, the Anchor app to make the actual podcast with it. So we're not fighting over the internet. We'll just make a regular phone call. I'll just record it on my end and uh, put it in the podcast afterward. That makes sense? Yeah, that works for me. All right. Um, so we'll just pick this. We left off. Yeah, we'll pick it back up at, uh, you said that uh, you, you go in and do the IO checks. Um and so there would be the different crews, the technical or the uh, whatever mechanical engineer team, the electrical engineer team. They'd do all the hookups, and then you'd come in at the end of the process and uh, do the I/O checks, and then go to the server and and make sure everything's configured correctly. I believe something like that. Yeah. Yep. That's. I mean, more or less. That's kind of that's kind of it. Um, projects would range from you know three months. To six months and the travel schedule would be like basically two weeks on two days off so maybe 10 days on and come home for two days go back out for 10 days and then work from 12 to 16 hours a day on the road whoa that sounds miserable so you're, wait so so you're saying you were you would go out of town somewhere in the country like hypothetically who knows yeah. texas and you're down there for 10 days, fly back for two days, and then head back out two days later? Yep. So usually we spend one weekend, you know, there. Okay. It, it, honestly, it'd be 10 to 12. I think I think I just kind of set myself up my last project, and that's what I'm recalling, um, to come home a little early so I wouldn't just have two days home. But, yeah, basically they just didn't want to pay, you know, that saves the company from having to fly you out Monday to Friday or, and you get two, two extra days. Cause I mean, everybody works through the weekend and in installation too. So, right. Um, you gotta, gotta work all those days and hours to meet the deadlines. And wow. So, so, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. You were going to say something, I think. No, no. Okay. So you, um, you would do this, Regularly, like this was 
this that was the entire time you did that job that was how often you went in town it wasn't like or was it like you would work at home not at home but work in in, in, in your office on a project for six months and then just go out there the last month for the installation yeah so i guess rough rough schedule would be we probably had you know four months of in-house work and then maybe six months of on-site six months of on-site work at that schedule 10 there two home 10 there two home yeah and i mean i think toward the end of it i mean our schedules were getting pretty tight or, or we were compressing our schedules a lot so i think it even would turn into like four months which the longer you have the, the nicer it is um, the longer you're what you would you say yeah, the, the longer the schedules are a little bit better because you got a little more time and you don't have to rush. Well, sure. Keep compressing the schedule down to, I think I think we were just starting to get them down to four months for a, a decent-sized system. Wow. I wish I had the numbers. I think I'm very prepared. To, <laughs> no, no. It's, by no means, but, uh, you know, it needs to be exact. It's just an idea. Like I, some pl- I know some places had, you know, over 20 miles of conveyor in them. That's a lot. It makes sense that that would have to be very meticulously tested and and uh, better better work right when you leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then there's like a you know a tw- like a two or three week support period usually. Sure. Well, so you just go in and work ten hours and then wow. go back to the hotel and come back in the next day. Just kind of sit there, and if any issues come up with the customer, they'll come get you, or you'll be watching the system through the HMI. So is that so? Let's say is is that the schedule and the demands for all of those different teams for the mechanical team and the electrical team and the software team, or are, is that um, like do do they all provide that couple of weeks of support afterward? Like how 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 unique is it compared to to being on the software side compared to being on the physical side of yeah, the system? So- I think usually in support, we would have all the disciplines, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and software. But throughout commissioning, I'd say mechanical is probably, or as far as on-site time, I guess, mechanical probably has the least amount of time on-site. And then electrical and software, they're a lot. Pretty much the same amount of time. And all those teams were coming from your company. It's not like you guys only provided the software as a contractor and another company provided the hardware and it, it was all right. from your company. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you were out like there with the same guys, people. each project. Yeah. yeah. Well, each, each project you might have, a, you usually had a different project team, but okay. you know, you work with those guys in house as well. Right. Um, like we took, we took extracts from um, AutoCAD and then imported, you know, the data into the software kind of massaged a little bit because right. it's never, per- never perfect. Uh, with the import tool we used. Yeah. Wow. But but some other another layer to add to it is there we software wasn't the only controls there. We also have kicks controls in some systems. So like a hybrid system. Okay. So basically what what we did in software was the same thing you can do on a pro- programmable logic controller. Uh but you know, it makes it more proprietary with the software. We could, you know, our scan times are faster, so we can do more high-speed stuff with the uh, with software versus PLCs. Wow. The PLCs are more user-friendly, and you can and you can make changes to the code while it's 
while the conveyor's running, you know, while oh, it's really? Wow. You can make live edits to the code, and you don't have to restart services or anything like that. Huh. Um, That's pretty cool. A lot, of, a lot of customers, I think, are moving that, that way. Yeah. But so so what's kind of cool about that is even though, like, so the PLCs would be controlling the conveyor, and then we would also talk to the PLCs and software so that they could um, enunciate their stat devices and conveyors you know, in the warehouse that they controlled to the software so that we could display the graphics for it, alarms and events hmm. and things like that. So P- PLC stands for products? Uh, programmable Logic <laughs> Controller. Programmable Logic Controller, all right. So it, it, it's ladder logic. I think there's also, you can do structured text with it too, but typically huh. it's use ladder logic. It's just rungs. I guess you can get as complicated as you want as well. Yeah. So you were programming like, um, you know, there'd be a scanner that would scan the barcode. It would tell your system that it needs to go to gate two or truck two, whatever. And so you would start firing off all these, this conveyor needs to turn left. This one needs to, you know, I'm sure you got like a pneumatic, whatever, punchers, whatever, that punch it down these different little holes. I've seen videos of these, these, uh, High-speed conveyor systems is all that what what you're talking about, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar. I've never actually worked with anything that punches any product. Our stuff's all pretty handles it pretty nicely, I guess, soft softly. Okay. Uh-huh. I think but, punch yeah, punch might be the wrong word, but uh, <laughs> I, I've actually seen the ones that just have like a pneumatic punch that just that right. makes it go in a different direction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yours are all conveyor, the actual conveyor. Changes directions or can well, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how you would get it to divert from the depending on the application. So if you're just thinking of a sorter going down to a truck door, um, it's it's like a, just picture a rail with a um, they call we call it a shoe that slides down a rail basically, and then several shoes in, in, in a diagonal fashion slide across the conveyor. Okay. Push it down. So that if that so so your software would define whether that shoe should be out or not at a given time for a given box. Right, yeah, so the shoes okay. travel along the conveyor. Um, it's like a big uh, like a big belt, but it's, you know, made of a lot of little, we call them flights, and yeah. each flight has a shoe on it. So, you know, if you had a medium or a decent-sized box, you might have 10 shoes or 10 flights that that box is sitting on, and the shoes are riding, you know, next to the box down the conveyor, and then once it gets to its destination, they slide across, and then um, in front of they'll it? be on the other. Um, yeah, they'll, well, they'll do like the pushing mechanism you're talking about, right? But a lot more gentle. And right. then they'll be on the like if it was diverting from right to left. Now the shoes are on the left, and once it makes a full revolution, those shoes will go back over to the other side. Wow. And when it you know comes back to the other end, they'll go next to another package. Yeah. I don't know if that's best way to describe it but we so also do have we also had a conveyor that would uh change direction as well we can go four directions at right angles what like three three foot zones basically so every uh, three feet independently controlled and then wow. uh, so that you can picture straight ones that just go in one direction right uh, that you just want it to go straight and then it can go to a place where it can either go straight left or right and at that point is a special piece of that type of conveyor 
where you've got rollers that go forward and backwards, and then you've got these belts that pop up in between the rollers that spin left and or go left and right, for instance. Good. And so, your your does your software would would your software track every package all the time and know exactly where it's at? Like at any given time, could you just say, "Where's this package? Where's this barcode located on my conveyor belt?" Or is it more like it, the more tracking there is, the more expensive it is. So sure. typically we don't track throughout the whole system, but what you could do is just have different scan points throughout the system to, as kind right. of like checkpoints. Yeah. So we saw it here, but we didn't see it here. But as far as when the, when you're sorting with those shoes, it's very it's very tedious or can be depending on um, how close your boxes are together. Right. Um, tracking becomes more important when you're assigning these shoes to boxes. Um, so, so from a scanner to a sorter, you're going to track basically from there to the end of the sorter. So on the sorter, you'll know where the box is at, so that you know which shoes to uh, to assign to that and, and divert the product. And the sorter so is the, is the so manual process at the very beginning, where you're putting a box onto a shoe. <laughs> yeah. So, so the a sorter is kind of usually like a shipping sorter will be the end of the line. So, a bunch of products would be would go on conveyor to a conveyor that's called a sorter. Okay. That, yeah, like a sliding shoe sorter is what I guess we've been talking about. That's what they call them. Man. It's a, um, it's a, like an inline sorter. Well, it sounds very complicated. Yeah. So we, <laughs> I mean, to do the tracking, we use encoders that, that track the distance pulses per revolution and all okay. all that's configured up front so that's kind of what when we're on site commissioning after we do io checkouts that's kind of the stuff we're, we're configuring right, right and dialing dialing all that in and then when you know usually code once you have it set it it, it runs it's repeatable you know right. it does forever unless something changes you know yeah wow okay so uh, that was that was kind of your job as a well that was obviously kind of an explanation of the industry or that kind of um, you know what your software did in that in that uh, environment but your job as a controller engineer was to make sure that the code was working properly to make the conveyors do what it need, they needed to do right right. So you're not that anymore. You have, did you get promoted inside your same business or did you take a new job? Yeah, I took a new job in the same company. The same company. So, so we, when I was a software engineer or uh, controls engineer, software controls engineer, we had project teams which had project managers. Right. Um, we were doing large systems. so. Um, we also have a service service department that, that has a project projects and project teams on a lot smaller projects typically, and they're usually on systems that we've already installed. And we're going back to add something to or fix something or um, replace conveyor that might be uh, gone or you know end of life. Sure. Um, so I transferred over to that department to do project management over there ah. a year and a half ago or so. Okay. So I'm still in the project world, um, and then I've just taken a new position recently as well. So a new position. <laughs> yeah. From, yeah. 
So from project manager to I'm going to take on a program account and be a program manager. So finishing up my last projects here in the next couple months. Okay, so let's let's see if I understand everything you just said. So you you went from being one of the guys writing the code to make sure that conveyors functioned correctly to being a project manager who coordinated the, I'm guessing, things like scheduling and task prioritization and, um, you know, who's going to do what work within a task, but for the support side of a system as opposed to the creation and installation side. Right. Okay. So then you went from there. Now you just took a brand new position. Um, and you're going to be overseeing the projects, um, which are the actual, um, software itself. That is that, that, that the controls engineers use to make the, Conveyors function because you, you you said that that was separate a project is separate from the what did you say the projects project versus product versus product right so uh, now you're a project project manager over over projects um no I'll I'll, uh, I'll 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 try to say it a little bit cleaner than what maybe I did before um so like I was on a project you know on projects or. <laughs> I was being assigned projects, right? What I would charge to you as a as a software engineer, right? Um, and, and you know, I had other engineering disciplines, and then we had a project manager over top of us. So that's what I am now, just okay in, okay. in the service group. So we still install conveyor, um, have electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, controls engineers, um, and that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half, and I'm finishing up on right. And then now I'm going to do program management, which is for just a key one customer. So it's kind of like a, well, I guess I would I would look at it as like a, um, a step above the project manager. Um, so I'll oversee all the service projects for one customer. It's kind of like an account manager. Yeah. Yep. So I'll work close with sales. Okay. Or I'll still oversee project teams. And, and, you know, handle more um, administrative type stuff for a particular customer. Okay, so you're not you're not in charge of selling the systems to customers and making living off commission from sales of systems. Once it gets sold, they hand it over to you, and you you manage you you hold their hand from there on out as a yeah, as a customer. Kind of, kind of like their main point of right. contact and escalation. And my job okay. is also to, you know, bolster business as well, promote business. For sure. So yeah, sell them, upsell them on new stuff whenever it comes out. Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of a consulting role too. Um, and then also, I guess one of the main things is um, just just keeping track of all their systems, what equipment they have where. Okay. So that we can, so that we can tell them, okay, what, so we can give them like an obsolescence report. Right, and right, the goal, right. The goal is to ultimately build a, you know, a five-year plan that looks ahead so that the customer can plan financials, you know, for the next five years. Nice. Where, where they're going to need to spend money. That's smart. And, and, and how to budget because because they're, they, um, you know, they can't, apparently they can't keep track of all that, which is a good thing for us. Right, right. But that I mean, means. You tell them when to buy stuff instead of them figuring it out for themselves. 
Right. So, I mean, I mean, they're very, very smart customers out there right. too. Um, Right. I'm, 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 I'm a lot sure. of customers we have a we have contract maintenance with. But right. Where I'm, where I'm going, we don't have that. So the ones we have contract maintenance at, we have a really good um, idea of what's in their systems. We've got our own inventory right. system um, that keeps track of preventive maintenance and things like that. Yeah, that's all I was gonna say. I'm, I would imagine that along with you know the installation of a system or even the sale, the upgrade of a system or the repair of a system, you guys are guaranteeing that for some period of time, and you. It's, it's not like you're going to be able to just tell them, hey, buy this stuff because it's brand new, even though their stuff's totally fine and you guaranteed it for the next two years or whatever. Right. Something like that. Okay. So that's interesting. So does that um, does that come with less travel? Does that um, – well, were you traveling as much as you, – were you traveling as much as a project manager – uh, for the services team, as you were for, as a controls engineer, definitely less. Okay. More more weekend work though, because because uh, it was uh, support facilities that were live. They right. Were in produ- running production, mostly yeah. twenty four hours, you could say. Yeah. So most of their downtime would be on the weekends and the mornings, or or that's just you know when they preferred to uh, take their systems down for right. twelve to forty eight hours for us to, to do our projects real quick and get out. Right. Um, so less travel, and that's, that's you know, kind of what I've been working toward. Right. To get more of a family. You're family. not telling me anything I don't know. That's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the whole travel was fun when, you know, when I first started. Cause right. Because I had I never even flown on a plane before I started doing that work. Really? So I'm glad I, I'm glad I wasn't scared of airplanes. <laughs> Only one way to find out. Um, Trial by fire. Right. Um, Okay. So I'm guessing – so that means that going into this new position, which you said you finished up your last couple projects, I'm guessing there's some kind of couple-week timeline, something like that. But is will that be even less traveling? That will be more – or will that be more traveling just when you want to schmooze a customer or or meet up with a customer? Um. Kind of, kind of both, I guess, and then there's kind of a, a question mark there too, just because I'm I'm not quite in the thick of it yet. Right. Um, but I think it'll be more kind of maybe like what how you describe your travel a little bit more as like a sales trip or. Right. Um, hopefully during the week because I'm I'm not going to be able or not going to need to turn their system off to right. work on something. I hope unless I get drug into a project or a problem. Yeah, I'd imagine if 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 one of your clients has issues you need to you know be there to encourage them or not maybe not encourage but to reassure them that you guys will get it knocked out and taken care of in a timely manner so you'll be holding their hand and kind of driving your services team to get the job done as fast as possible kind of playing that middleman yep yep just yeah ultimately just just uh doing everything i can to keep the the customer happy and keep their business keep, keep them coming back you know nice and that's kind of how it's been spelled out to me. Uh, I know yeah. up front, I think I'll be traveling to some old facilities and trying to figure out, you know, what, uh, what needs done, what needs right. done, you know, if, if something is uh, in really bad shape to kind of advise them a little bit on what they should do or, you know, yeah. assess their systems, I guess, more or less. Right. Take a, take a, a health check, give, give them a checkup. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We, we have an assessments team too, um, but that's another thing to figure out, I guess. Uh, usually we sell Probably work with them. Yeah. So I don't know, as a program customer, maybe that, you know, in a future contract that might be included. You know, yeah. we do the assessment for free and then sell you, you know, sell you everything else. Right. Yeah, I'm. You, I'm not sure what you. Uh, you might even have some, some. But, what's yeah, it called? Latitude. I'm excited about the new job, new role. Yeah, those are always exciting. Um, does that come with a, uh, with a, with a pay bump? Is that a is that a is that a, is that a prestige bump in the company? Is that a big, a big thing? I got yeah. It's it's fairly fairly good. I think. Um, I don't get overtime anymore, but I did get a decent pay raise. Yeah, well, that's good. I guess so I get, overtime is interesting. It's it's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice to to not have to work overtime, but it's uh, you know, as long as you aren't losing out on a lot of compensation. So right. that is a double edged sword. Yeah, I've been. Kinda, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I I haven't I haven't worked anywhere that I've been able to have commission or not commission. I've never had commission. I don't know if I've worked anywhere that's had overtime in my career since I've started actually programming, like I think everywhere I've been has been either salary or contract where it's like you work 40 hours and that's all you're not allowed to work anymore, which also has its ups and downs, right? Like you might not even be anywhere near done with a project and want to work all weekend, but you're not allowed. Right. Um, so it's kind of a, but at the same time, it's nice to know that when you go home, you're home and you're not, not worried about getting phone calls or working late at night. So, yeah, I think that's really important for sure. And I hope I hope that's kind of the direction this job is, or the new role is. But I can I can I can already see a little bit of me having to do some work at home. But yeah, I think it's just, since it is uh, before I was straight salary. I was salary plus premium pay after forty five hours. So they gave them five free hours. If I okay. Worked, yeah. If I worked forty five hours, I still get paid for forty. But the project would take a 45-hour hit to the budget. Interesting. They would encourage you. Oh, if you only work 45, don't you know? Just put 40, <laughs> save the project, but not pay you anymore. You still get five hours out of you. But the over, overtime was straight pay, straight time. Yeah. But. Huh. I'd say if they got rid of that, they'd probably have a hard time getting people to come on board. Right. Especially in work those types of days and hours. Right, that's impossible. The only place I can get away with that is the military. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, they probably own you, don't they? It feels like it most of the time. Um, you're at their at their beck and call, but uh, that's cool. I, I'm I'm excited for. Uh, you know, I, I I've I've seen that um, as you go up the the ladder of management, um, or whatever you're going to, you want to call it, um, you know, as your, as your responsibilities increase in a general fashion, which means your salary typically increases, um, your, the, the drudgery of your work, like your work is more enjoyable. It's less brutal and long hour, you know what I mean? But, um, you still have, you know, random expectations, customers, if you're working for customers, customers will get a hold of you whenever they want to. If you're working for, you know, if you have people working for you, you're going to be in charge of if they're calling in sick and managing them and reprimanding them for mistake. You know what I mean? So it's a two-edged sword as well. 
Yep, absolutely. That uh, that's interesting. I, I haven't gotten up to there. I yeah, really the the next. I still, I still don't have anybody reporting to me. So. <laughs> well, you have you have an entire project reporting to you. Um, <laughs> not really reporting to you, probably, but uh, uh, kind of depending on you for coordination. Got a lot of dotted dotted lines. <laughs> That's what they call dotted lines. People that are depending on you, but you're not responsible you're, for. It. You're matrix to them, so so like for, so my my program customers supposedly will get well, once you know we have business enough business in the pipeline, we'll dedicate a project manager to that customer. Mm-hmm. As a as a program customer, so that they get to see the same face over and over, right? And, you know, build that confidence with them, so that you know that they're more willing to keep buying and, and yeah, promote that kind of a relationship with them. Yeah. So when when a customer keeps seeing different people, it's like they have to start over from scratch every time they do a project, and you're kind of like, eh. you know, it's yeah. cost, you know, it's not as efficient. For sure. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of lose the relationship. Right. So that's that's kind of what I've, I've been. A, that's what I've been as a project manager for program customers. So okay, I've, I've just been handling business or projects with a few different customers. Okay. So, so in the future, building you, relationships with a different customer. Um, and now I'm going to be leaving them. So hopefully they're not too sad. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there's there's somebody else will come around and. Uh, be able to talk to you when they need services or whatever. Um, maybe you'll get Anybody them. Anybody wants to be a project manager, let me know. Um, <laughs> well, not right now, but uh, now I do. I I really I've talked. So <clears throat> I was a product. You've only got three kids already, Scott. <laughs> you're right. I do. You're in the military, so you're uh, away from home once a month or whatever. Well, it feels like more than that, but uh, no, it's. Hopefully it calms down after uh, after March. I'm, I'm gone for two weeks, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, and if you listen to episode, I don't even know what this morning. I don't think yeah, this morning's episode I talked about um, the, about the year leading up to my deployment. I was gone ungodly amounts of time. It was insane. So if you want to view into how ridiculous the army can be about taking you away from home, there's a good listen. Um, I'll definitely. Uh circle back and catch that yeah um so yeah my experience um really my entire career has been quite different I, i'm not sure it's an interesting thing where so my my career started as at a, at a startup immediately thrown into the fire learning web application development um which was awesome learned enormous amounts of information before you know i never went to school well i went to school for a little bit but didn't get a degree didn't do web development just got this startup job and, um, and it was awesome. Um, but they paid almost nothing. I started at like $10 an hour. And after five years I was making, uh, $12.50 an hour or something ridiculous. Um, writing, writing VB.net, building websites, applications, full features. You know, it was insane how valuable I was and didn't even know it. So, um, I figured out how valuable I was randomly when I got a, a recruiter reached out to me and was like, Hey, you want to come work at Fort Knox for twice what you're making? And I was like, of course I do. Why wouldn't I? Um, so I went and did that. And, and that was really where I started my, you know, my whatever you want to call it 
I set my bar, I guess, for what I believed I was worth in the industry and, and where I wanted to go. I didn't even know that these things were possible up to that point. I was like, no, you just build websites. It's what you do. Um, and so I, I realized that there's a whole, whole big world out there of application developers um, and applications that need to be developed. But uh, so, um, but I still haven't gotten, so I've, I've gone from, you know, senior web developer, um, software engineer. Um, I've, I've never, I, I dabbled in a product ownership. So it was kind of like, um, it was, it was interesting, not really project management because I wasn't coordinating the entire, the entire thing for the whole project. I was, I was focused on making sure that a development team had all the information they needed to write code for the project. So I was kind of like the, um, the middleman between a development team and the project owner or the project manager and all the different business entities. And I was gathering requirements from the business, you know, the account, the accounting department needs the software to do X, Y, and Z. The sales department needs the software to do X, Y, and Z. And then considered a business analyst type. Well, a business, the business analysts were the people in those departments talking to me. So the business analyst would come to me from the accounting department and say, Hey, I need software to do this. And I would say, okay, well, this is what our software can do. This is what our developers can do. This is how fast they can do it. What do we, what, you know, how do we put this puzzle together so that my software development team can make the software do what you need it to do in a timely manner? And we you know what, what, what kind of requirements do you have? What kind of timeline do you have? Is this feasible? You know, all those different things. Um, so I didn't understand the entire business need front and back that that was a business analyst, but I, I was explained enough by that business analyst to tell the development team everything they needed to know about how to make the software achieve that business requirement. So it was kind of a interesting role that was very, very fun. I didn't write code at all for months. Um, I just talked to people and, you know, it was, it was very fun. I enjoyed it very much. Um, but it didn't last very long because I moved away from Ohio. That, that was, uh, that was a job I was doing in Dayton before we moved to, um, back down here. Okay. A year yep. ago. Um, so then I moved down here for a software engineering position. Um, but so, so every job that I had between leaving that startup and what I have now at Fruit of the Loom, um, <clears throat> every other job that I had that paid me well and, and, you know, was a good position, they were all contract positions. They were all, you know, you come in, work 40 hours and go home. You don't get benefits. You don't get vacation. You don't get PTO. So those were less desirable. Um, and so when Fruit offered relocation, vacations, the salary, all in one, I was like, that's a no-brainer. I'm coming. So that's how we got back down here. I was going to, um, say, I was going to ask you, did you move for – for salary or to move closer to your wife's family or, but well, it was kind of the perfect like, storm. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Um, it was really, we weren't, we couldn't have moved without the relocation benefits. Um, so it, what, what happened was fruit, um, fruit had a position. Uh, so this was, I was laid off from 
one job from that startup. Actually, this was crazy. I I could tell a whole episode about my diatribe of my couple of years of, of employment, but the that startup that I worked for moved me to Cincinnati. They gave me twenty thousand dollars cash and said, "Get up here and come work for us again." Because I left them, and so they begged me to come back and gave me twenty grand to move to Cincinnati. So I said, "Okay, we'll be there." So we moved to Cincinnati. That's when we built that house um, in Mainville. That was when we right there by your parents' house. Right. Yeah. So that was that was the life that we set up there based on that startup that I moved up there for. One year after I moved, they laid me off. They just said. They, well, the owner, the CEO, died in that year. The wow. entire company took a turn that I didn't like. People were, you know, I just didn't agree with kind of the direction of the company after he passed away. He was he was really a big anchor, and, he, you know, he, it was his vision. And when he passed away, the vision shifted, and I didn't like it. So there was a falling out. There was, you know, it was obvious that it probably wasn't going to work out long term anyway. But then they just said, all right, we're cutting it off here. You're done. Go find another job. And so that was when I was – I just started throwing my resume out to everybody, anybody who would listen. Um, and so I applied at Fruit of the Loom down here and uh, got that job in Dayton. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Fruit of the Loom comes back to me like, hey, you applied. We have a position for you. How do you – what do you think? And I was like, okay, well, I can start – exploring this right um just to see what they have to offer but i don't think i'm going to leave because i just started another job um and i still have a house and all this stuff i'm I'm here in cincinnati it's going to be take a lot for me to leave um at this point and uh so after talking to them for a while once they explained to me their relocation package and that they would move me down there and that it would not only not cost me anything but you know they had bonuses for selling my house quickly. They had a bonus for, you know, relocating in a certain period of time. Like they were just, cause they live they're, they're in the middle of nowhere, right? They're in Bowling Green, Kentucky. They're, they don't have a large pool of experienced software engineers to, to pick from. Right. Yeah. So they, they throw all they got at people to get them there because they, they have to. So, when they offered all that and explained all that to me, then it became vividly clear that, you know, this was an opportunity that I wasn't, I've never gotten before with all these benefits, this position. Um, and so we, we made the move. So, right, so, so let me ask you, was the Dayton position, was that, was that a contractor position too? It was, it was contract to hire technically. Um, but I was on contract when I, when I was working there and when I left, and when I when I uh, told the it was through tech systems I think um, and when I told the tech um, you know contact manager or whatever the account manager at, at tech that I was leaving you know, I'd only been working there for I don't even know three months or something I think I started in like October and left in December but when I when I told him I was leaving he was pretty surprised obviously um, but you know he understood and and he was like okay and um, and I, you know, one of the things I mentioned was that I just, I just, it was a permanent position and I couldn't be contracted any longer. Like I, I just wanted the benefits of the PTO and the, and those benefits are hard to turn down when they're, you know, laid out in front of you. And he was like, man, that's, uh, I just talked to the, 
your you know your manager over there um, at the company, and and he said that they were going to start working on a package to to bring you on permanently. But you know, it is what it is. And they said it was like, I guess I could have you know if all that had worked out and they had a good package, which they they did pay me well, and they they probably would have offered something comparable, but it was too late by that point. I you know that that's the the, the issue with contracting is that you don't, your communication they try to insulate you from the business. Like they don't want the, the the manager, your manager at the company to be telling you that they're going to bring you on full time and all that kind of stuff. Like they try to route it all through the contract company, which can be good for both parties. If everybody's patient enough to wait for that communication line to function. Right. But does the contractor take a little off the top? Uh, yeah. The contractor is always, you know, the middleman. So they're, they're paying me probably, I don't know, 60% of what they're actually spending to have me in the office. The other 40% goes to this company. Um, and then when it comes down to actually me being hired on, the contract company also gets a bonus for bringing in somebody that was that they liked enough to hire. So right. that's the business model of, of being a contract. But, but once they're off that, once you're off that contract, they don't get the monthly cut off the top, right? Right, 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 right. No, they get they make money off of me while I work as a contractor because they're they're technically employing me. So the the company pays them to to pay my salary pretty much to have me there. Um, and then when I get hired on, the contracting company makes money off of providing kind of a headhunter's fee for providing a good quality employee that they liked. Um, but then that's the end of the contract company's, you know, play, you know, what part of the puzzle. Right, right. Um, so. I always thought that was interesting how much they got off the top. But. Oh, man. I know guys that are making, you know, they, they know. And, and I, that's, this is how I figured out how all this whole game worked. Because my. My current, my he's now my first sergeant in the army, I'm my army unit. But he was my squad leader, my platoon sergeant in the past. He's been a leader of mine in the military for a long time, and um, he always works contracts. He doesn't. He's a software engineer, but he doesn't ever want to be full time. Like he he because they pay you so much more as a contractor, just raw salary. You can make more because they don't have to pay you benefits. So they they'll, they'll pay you 125,000 to be a developer on a contract but that same exact company would have might only pay you a hundred on for a salary because they're going to offer you 401ks and health plans and all those other benefits right so you can make more raw cash on your paycheck if you if you don't need their benefits um so he's he's been a contractor his entire career and he was telling me about it and he explained to me like he knows that the contract company that he's working for is making about as much as he's making off of him. So you can negotiate to make more from that contract company. Um, as long as they believe that you're worth it. Right. So you can tell them, look, I know you're making X amount or about, you know, about as much as I'm making, you're making off of me. So give me more. You're going to take a lesser cut, but I'll stay for another year instead of leaving. So you can negotiate with your contract company like that. I never did, but very interesting stuff. Um, lots of leeway there where you, when you, when you know, they, they don't want you to know all those, all that information. They just want you to work. So if you know that information, you can, you can leverage it for sure. Right.
Right. Yeah. yeah. I felt like we could do a whole whole episode just on that. <laughs> I've got a friend that's his job at a staffing company. And <clears throat> yeah. My brother Jeremy, of course, is, is, has explored. Yeah. Doing that. I'm not sure. I haven't heard about that in a little while. I don't. I'm not sure where they're at. I know that they've uh, they've mentioned a couple things um, in some chats about talking to people. Um, but yeah, there's definitely money to be made. Uh, you just have to be really trustworthy, and you have to be able to pay the contract employee. Right. And so you have to have the whole payroll set up. The and, whole uh, the whole startup part. The right. Kind of started up is probably the biggest barrier. Yeah. But very interesting stuff. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting how different. So two different people uh, who write code can be. When the uh, when that startup moved you up to, where were you living? I guess before you came back to Cincinnati for the startup was it, were you in Fort Knox? Is that what you said? Uh, no, I was working in Fort. Well, I wasn't technically working in Fort Knox at that time, but I was living down same place we live right now, Russell Springs. Um, we live. We moved down here, which I also explained during episode five. But they um, we moved down to Russell Springs um, when I got deployed to Afghanistan. And then we lived down here for, I don't even know, three or four years um, between my deployments and when that startup moved me back to Cincinnati in 2017, I think. So probably five years we lived down in Kentucky, down here. We moved back to Cincinnati for like 18 months. I was to say, it didn't seem very long. It was not. It was not. It was uh, it was a lot of headache going back and forth, man. If you can stay in one state, I strongly suggest it. But, uh, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah, without knowing that background, I was like, man, Scott's crazy. He just built a house. He just got his new <laughs> job, and now he's, now he's packing it up, selling it, and now moving down. <clears throat> I mean, I heard you'd gotten the, uh, the relocation, you know, right. funds and stuff. But Yeah, it, without, without that, it, it, it would have been possible, but... No, I, I, so what's, there's a lot of things that blew my mind, but, you know, we built that house in, uh, we finished it in December 2017. We sold it in January of 2018 and we made $10,000 on it. That's, that's awesome. That, 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 that land, that, that property, it, yeah, whatever matured or what, uh, what's it called? inflated it that by that much um in, in in a year um it was that that blew my mind just the fact that it ap- appreciated um that much in, in one year uh but yeah so things like that when when we started running the numbers and even just before we made a, t- a decision to move back i think we talked to a realtor and when he told us what he thought we could get for it and, and all that we were just like this seems insane but everything seems to be working out. Like if, if all the numbers didn't work out, we couldn't do it. If all the timing didn't work out, we couldn't have done it, but everything fell in place. And, uh, you know, we get down here and we end up being able to build another house that, uh, I, I, now at this point, I don't ever want to move again. I'm done moving for the rest of my life. I don't care. There's nowhere else I could go. I just, the only issue here which is why this podcast even exists is because I have to drive an hour to work and there's nowhere to work. Like I'm not driving 15 minutes to work. That doesn't exist. Not, not to make what I want to make and do what I want to do. Right. Um, unless I work remote, you know, there's remote development jobs, um, which I might end up doing one day just to sit at home and, and write code from home. 
but I'm not going to be able to go to an office within a half hour of my house and uh, do what I do and, and make what I make doing it. So it's worth driving. I think it's crazy to, to know what, 28, 29 years old, and you've already built two houses. <laughs> you don't and even you know, man. And you don't have a college degree. <clears throat> you don't even know. It, it, it's, it's insane to me to think that what, I've I've built two houses. I've owned three houses. I, I owned a house down here before we moved up to Cincinnati. So I've owned three houses, built the last two of them. I've been to Afghanistan for a year. I don't have – I, well, actually, I do have a college degree technically now. I have an associate's degree, but I got my associate's degree from a community college that I was working for at the time, making more than my teachers were making, doing what I was learning to do in school. So I was I was a develop, software engineer, a, a developer for this college and a student for that college, and I was learning how to – I was in the computer development program at that college while being paid by them to do the job. It was just a ridiculously inside out situation that nobody should ever have to even understand because it should never exist. But, uh, probably how it should be minus the fact that you had to go back to college, right? Well, and I didn't even have to go back to college. I only went back to college because after getting deployed, the army, paid me to go to college like i could they didn't pay me to go to college but they their their benefits for going to college outweighed the cost of college so they i ended up making money every month i was in college so not only did i end up getting my degree but i got paid to do it i didn't even need it but i did it because i was getting paid to do it i got it was just insane like it's just weird to think about how i went from walking away from school in 20 10, 2009, 2009, I walked away from NKU, and 2019, 10 years later, uh, wife, three kids, deployment, 10 years in the military, three houses. Three houses. <laughs> like, what did I do for 10 years? Like, I, it's it, nobody should ever. I, I, I've I had you did a lot in 10 I've years. probably had six, six jobs. If I count the startup twice, startup, Fort Knox, college. Start up again. That's five, and then Dayton, and then Fruit of the Loom. Seven, seven jobs as a software developer in ten years. I don't know, man. At this point, I think really, I think this could also be a whole other episode of of what the heck I've been doing in my life for ten years. But I think a lot of it just comes down to doing anything that you have an opportunity to do not like why stay at the same job because you already have it like if you don't need that that specific job they don't you know you're not contracted to them you're not whatever if somebody else offers you something go do it like there's there's stuff out there waiting for you waiting for somebody why not why not it be you right yeah. Um, You're one of man, Scott. You're, well, not not me particularly, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I think uh, I think uh, you have a very unique situation. I think. Uh, I think you're right about that. I was very lucky, and I and I attributed a lot to that startup. The fact that I could, I got lucky enough to stumble into a software development job. You know, I was making 
$10 an hour doing way more than, you know, I was getting paid to do, but I got paid in knowledge and experience beyond anything I could imagine. And so instead of going in debt and going to school for four years, I was lucky enough to walk away from there and walk into a senior application developer job yeah, at, at it's pretty Fort crazy. Knox. Like it just doesn't, it, it's, it's a, it's unique, but it's hard to, um, it's hard to explain to people that I believe that other people can do it too. Like it's yeah. hard to, it's hard for people to believe like, they're just like, well, you have, you do programming. So of course you're super valuable. Like everybody wants needs programmers or you just got lucky because you got into that one job that one time, which is all true, but there's no way that I'm the only person who could do this. That's that I'm not special. Like surely other people, Christy is, could do this. Like she doesn't, she's, she has so much potential. It's just a matter of being willing to take any, you know, the, the, best thing that somebody gives you and not feel bad for leaving the company you currently work for or you know feel bad for moving like sometimes you have to move or or drop everything you got and go dive head first into whatever the thing is it might not always be an, an employer or whatever but it's just if you see an opportunity if you don't seize it you have nobody to blame but yourself for the fact that whatever that opportunity was didn't, didn't come to fruition. Right. So All right. that's the way I see it. But, uh, I'm I think, here. I think there's more to come on that. I think she's, I think she's got a bright future. So. Oh, I agree hundred percent. We were, yeah, she's going to be able to do some cool stuff. Look forward to that for sure. Um, in the meantime, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing her more. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm sure she is too. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, good luck with that. I, uh, I'll post this as soon as I can. Um, I'm, I'm at I'm at Walmart right now, and uh, might need to trim Ashley's it down. And, uh, we we went a little long. <laughs> I'll I'll find I'll find something to do with it. Um, it might might be a couple episodes. I don't know, but it was well worth it. I enjoyed it very much, man. Well, if you ever need somebody to talk to besides yourself in the car, I uh, all right. I'll, I'm definitely willing to do it again. Well, I will take you up on that for sure. Um, maybe, maybe talk about. Not, not talk about myself as much. I mean, that's me. <laughs> it was all good. I was very interested. Ashley's calling me, and my it's yeah. she's calling me like crazy. So go for it. Go for it. All, all right, right, man. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Right, see you. Bye.